We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 366. Our guest today is an amateur rider competing in both the Jumpers and the Hunters. She has overcome some very challenging issues with her heart horse, Hilton, with injuries and setbacks that ended up making her change from the Jumpers to the Hunters with him, which to be able to do at such a high level is pretty remarkable. Then, in 2022, she had a very serious accident, um, a fall in a meter 60 class that left her severely injured, partly paralyzed, and she had to really readjust her plans and work incredibly hard to get back into the show ring, physically and mentally. She is here to inspire others with her story, remain competitive, and have fun along the way, which is such a big part of the sport, and I think something that we forget about often. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Keely McIntosh. Hi, Keely. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, and I'm glad I could be here to speak a little bit more about Hilton. Amazing. I'm so excited to hear more. But tell me how you first got in the horse world. Well, originally, my mother was actually a local professional in Roswell, New Mexico in the 80s and the 90s. So they moved to Houston in the early 90s, which is when I was born. And I grew up with horses in my backyard, you know, very very backyard, you know, finger painting, cowboys and Indians. Yes, trail rides in Houston, they have bayous. So we'd spend hours on the trails and, you know, did pony club growing up and uh, wasn't really a hunter jumper as a kid. I was very backyard and uh, very grateful for that. Yeah, I feel like having that kind of background, like really instills your love for you know, like not only the sport, but just for like the horses and the lifestyle and the, you know, like the hard work and the care that go into, um, into riding. So I feel like that's such a cool background. Yes, it, it sure does. You know, my mom, she, her horse was a quarter horse off of the track and she bred that mare to, I think a quarter horse stallion and the daughter of her mare was Fanny and that's the horse that I learned how to ride on and Fanny was bred to Abdullah the Olympic stallion and her, she had a daughter named Bieber's like Justin Bieber except Bieber's <laughs> older, so she's the OG and uh, I ended up later on in life when I was 15 or 16 she ended up being a children's jumper she was about 15-1 pocket rocket and yes I loved the the opportunities that I had growing up that would have been a little bit different than I think most people would assume, you know, if you knew me when I was much younger, there it was show jumping was not at all on the radar. And uh, it did become part of our life. I had a a small pony and she was a saint and uh, didn't have a lead change, couldn't get down the lines, but, you know, did all the pony club stuff, canned around the cross country, the, the small stuff and then 
I was actually at a local horse show with my mother and what really changed the trajectory of my riding career was the judge at that horse show that day, Liza Richardson messaged down to the Engate lady and had taken notice of me and my mother and said that if I ever needed help, she'd be more than willing to help me. And my mom took her up on that offer. And then, you know, the focus very much narrowed into hunter jumper. She was a hunter trainer. And I mean, that's a little bit where it all started for kind of being more focused into the hunter jumper world. Wow. Well, that's such a cool story. What do you think it was that she noticed about you and your mom? She placed me first in all of the equitation classes. And I, she must have known that it was my mom training me. Mm. And um, I, it was a local horse show and I'm sure she didn't see me on the A circuit. And I, I don't know, I should ask her what she saw, but the pony, she didn't do ponies. You know, she introduced herself as Liza. I don't do ponies, Richardson. And she um, didn't do jumpers either. And the funniest thing is that when I rode with her growing up, I, I had ponies with her and then um, I had jumpers. I didn't have hunters with her. So she really <laughs> went wow. a little bit out of the box for me. And I still, I don't know if she has ponies, but right now she has one of my hunters um, that I'm hoping to make another derby horse and I thought she was the perfect person to start him in that career and so now she has a hunter of mine but I mean it took 20 years <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I'm I'm sure you've had many great stories throughout your riding career um I know there is definitely one that really stands out to you so tell us about Hilton and how he came into your life yes Hilton is a very special horse to me and to quite a few people, actually. I'm so lucky to have him. I mean, even more so, I, I think I'm more grateful now in my life than I was even before. And when he first came into my life, my mother actually was in a syndication with Juan Ortiz and some other people. And if you if you know Juan, he works a lot with McLean Ward. And that's where most of the horses, if not all of them, came from. And Hilton was purchased through the syndication from McLean. And I think Juan had only had him for about a month. But if you're familiar with syndications in the horse world, you know, money tends to get moved around a little bit. And money got moved around and my mom bought uh, Hilton out from the syndication. And she had fallen in love with him within the month. And it's, it's hard not to fall in love with that horse. He's adorable. And she was able to purchase him from the syndication outright. And before you knew it, he was on a truck from Florida to Texas with a red bow on him. And he showed up at Pin Oak, the Pin Oak Charity Horse Show in 2015. And I remember him walking off the trailer and being in tears that this horse that was so nice was now mine to ride and wow. could be added to. Yeah, I had such an amazing group of horses back then and Hilton was just the cherry on top and I remember just being in tears because I was going to Texas A&M at the time and they had a maroon bow and um, it was such a fun horse show to have him at and mm. you know great memories and I still have the picture framed in my house when he walked off the the truck for me wow that's mm -hmm. so special I know shortly after Hilton became yours. He had an injury that required quite a bit of time of rehab. What happened to him? Yes. Well, 
as I said, Hilton was very special and very talented. So he moved up very quickly. I had gotten him, I think, April of 2015. And by that summer, he was jumping Grand Prix with me at the Kentucky Horse Park. And I was in love. You know, I had him and my main horse at the time, Accordance, who I call Pepe. He's in his 20s now. He's retired. Who was doing four stars with me. And then Sully, so life hello, who was another thing. He, he might be a year older than Hilton. So they were kind of coming up to replace Pepe. And um, Sully had qualified for the Grand Prix at Harrisburg that year. And you you can bring an extra horse at that time. You could bring an extra horse if you wanted. And I wanted to bring Hilton, but it was made clear to me that the right choice was Pepe because he was my number one horse at the time. And which at the time, I think when I had gotten home, I was very upset with that decision. Uh, while we were gone, Hilton, I don't know what happened. He, It was told to me that he probably rolled under a fence and got stuck. Mm. But I, again, I don't know the specifics of the injury, soft tissue in his hawk, or if he fractured his hawk. But I mean, the horse was I, at the time, I didn't think he was done, but um, in hindsight, he was his his jumper career was over, and we treated it very aggressively to begin with because you know it's a nice horse, and we did stem cell, we did rehab, you know, for six months that horse was had the best care that you could you could afford for it, and six months into it, you know, the next summer we tried to bring him back and got him to the horse show and he was sound the first day and then the next day couldn't walk. So he was put back up on a truck and shipped back to Texas. And at that point, you know, in my head, I just put him in the pasture and thought either you're going to get better or you're not. And Mm. that's what I do. I think when you're kind of at the end of your rope and you give up, you put him in a pasture and you wait a year. And if they make it back, they make it back. If they don't, they don't. And uh, I think he was in the pasture for another year and a half and I mean, came back, my vet decided, Andrea O'Connor in Texas had told me, I think it was the fall of 2017, you know, we were going to try to see if he could come back. And she gave me the green light and I started flatting him in the backyard and took my time bringing him back and started to show him, uh, I think, January of 2018. Wow. I, you When you brought him back from his initial injury, you, I'm sure, had to kind of change your goals and specifically your overall goals with him mm-hmm. um and and you ended up pivoting a little bit from the jumpers into the hunters so what led to that decision specifically it was my vet at the time andrea she uh, had told me to start him in the hunters and i of course was very wary hilton is very studly he's a gelding but he doesn't know it and um i mean he would look at a mare and he would rear and he'd strike strike out and i was like this is not a good idea but I understand the concept because she said that I, if I took him back into the jumpers, I might get a year out of him if I was lucky and to start him in the hunters. And I trusted her and we took him to Hits Ocala that winter. It was my first year at Hits Ocala. I think I did two years there. And that was when I had won my first amateur hunter classic. I'd never done the, I'd never done junior hunters. I'd never done the amateur hunter. Mm. And it became very clear that even though Hilton was a magnificent jumper, he was an even better hunter and that's where he should be. Wow. 
That's so, it's so unique because that normally, you don't normally have a horse that fits so well at the, you know, like the top level of both the hunters and the jumpers. Like that's such like a, a freaky, cool thing. And so, and so unique. Mm -hmm. It is. And honestly, very lucky to have that opportunity. And a lot of my jumpers, my Grand Prix horses, like Pepe, who did the FEI with me, I will turn into derby horses, kind of give them a second life. If, yeah. you know, they mean I, I don't maybe want to sell them because they've done a lot for me or or something. But it takes a very special horse to make that transition. And then I've never had a horse that went from doing the Grand Prix to doing the amateur hunters because an amateur hunter is a completely different ball game. And I think the look of a derby horse or an equitation horse might match a little bit more of a jumper, but the sure. amateur hunter, yeah, is they're the nicest hunters in the country and right. that people spend their lives preparing horses as babies to be that horse. And you're right for Hilton to be able to have done both. I think, I mean, it, it's such a one in a million chance. And I, I think he was lucky and I was lucky that we found that being where he wanted to be and where he still wants to be. Mm -hmm. Something that you've said in other interviews is the more fit a horse is, the more sound they are. So how do you work on fitness with Hilton and um, especially with the transition? I know uh, myself being a part of a primarily hunter program, fitness can be tricky because you are also working with, you know, prepping a horse to be uh, quiet and and, you know, like even keeled to go around and do a hunter course, especially for juniors and amateurs and kids. So tell me a little bit about that dynamic and, and fitness when it comes to Hilton and, and the rest of the horses that you're working with. Yes. Well, again, I trust my vets. I have a good group of them specifically in Lexington, Kentucky. I use Ashley Embley and she's the one who said, an unfit horse is an unsound horse. So on mm. the flip side, a fit horse is a sound horse. And I just live by that now. And you're right. You know, I, I haven't really thought about the difference between the jumper and the hunter program because I've never really had a hunter program. I mm. just was winging it a little bit when it came to Hilton and we found our, our niche and yeah. I don't change it. You know, he, he right now is getting ridden five days a week you know, at one point it was four days a week and I relied heavily on aqua treads. You know, if I, if he does two days a week on the aqua tread, he'll get ridden for four. If he does one day a week at the aqua tread, he'll get ridden for five. And I really believe in the aqua tread, especially with older horses. It really allows me to get off of his back and keep him fit. Hmm. And he gets lunged on the Pacella once or twice a week. And I, you know, I, I never canter my horses on the lunch line. They get they trot for 20 or 30 minutes with the Pessoa. And I think that helps build their muscles again without me being on his back. Right. And then when I am on his back, the difference between my jumpers and my hunters, because that program with the Aqua Tread and the Pessoa is very similar to the jumpers. But the one thing that Hilton does differently is I might be on my jumpers working like fitness. I, I mean, I work more on fitness with those horses than anything. Mm. The fancy flat work comes second to fitness for me and I'll be on those jumpers working for 45 minutes and Hilton, he doesn't work for more like on fitness when I'm on him more than 20 minutes. Like right. there's, we don't, 
he doesn't need to be jumper fit. You know, he needs to be fit. And like you said, they have to be quiet when they go in the ring. And I, he likes to win. And there's, there's a very specific protocol for winning with that horse. And once he walks in that ring, you know, he might be silly in the warm up, but when he, he gets in that ring 95% of that time, the time he's got his game face on and he wants to, and he knows when he has a good round. So I have a lot of faith in him that he knows the job at this point. And if you're able to ride him at home and keep him fit and work with the quirks that he has at home, then you're going to be able to ride him at the horse show. Yeah. You don't have to be in the horse world for very long to understand that safety is such a big part of our sport. Ride EquiSafe offers the broadest selection of safety equipment in North America. Their broad selection really means that they can be a brand diagnostic and really focus on what's best or most appropriate for each individual rider. They don't push certain brands on people. They really do take a look at the individual rider to find which pieces would be the best. If there's a piece of safety equipment that they don't carry, there's usually a very specific reason why. Ride Equisafe is the only company in North America whose primary business priority is keeping riders safe in the saddle. They also offer a selection of boutique equestrian apparel to ensure you're not just safe, but you're also stylish in the saddle. So to get more information, visit their website at rideequisafe.com. That's ride, E-Q-U-I-S-A-F-E dot com. Outside of your career with Hilton, you continue to pursue your jumper goals, but in 2022, you had a really scary accident. Tell me a little bit about what happened. Yes. So it honestly, it it took me a really long time to talk about it because I think mentally it it was very difficult for me to get over certain parts of it. I, yes, I, was jumping in the three star at split rock in June of last year. And it was the first one in the ring. It was a little bit wet. It was raining. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I can only really tell you from my perspective and from what the FEI judges said, when I was cantering to the vertical, I mean, we jumped. I actually didn't think anything was wrong until I was on the ground, which typically when I fall off and I don't fall off very often, it's the horses go down with me. I don't really think that anything is wrong until I'm on the ground. And in the video, you can see what the judges said that they saw. They thought she got caught in her bell boot, you know, the, the over the, the grab boot, the overreach mm-hmm. boot when she went up. So she goes to jump and she picks you know, her legs up and then she kind of like, I think gets stuck with the right Uh, foot and then she never unfolded. She just face planted into the ground. Yes. And lawn darted me onto the other side. And I don't know, time kind of stopped for a second. I I turned around. This is the, probably the most traumatizing part. Um, I, I remember looking up and I had no idea that I was hurt or honestly that she had fallen. And I turned around and looked at her and she was lying on her side and she kind of like a fish. She, she, she looked at me with her head and then flopped back down. I thought she died. I like, there was a hundred people that flooded into the ring and I ran over to her um, with detached arms, which I didn't realize at the point, at that point. Oh gosh. Yes. And I put my hand on her neck and I think 
it is such a sweet horse and she was very very green um that was the first meter 60 jump she'd probably ever seen in her life and she looked at me and she stood up and people started grabbing her tack pulling it off and at that point I had turned around and I had I had fallen down and realized that I was not okay and started screaming for help and they had taken the horse away and the horse was fine but I think from her, the horse's perspective, I think she just didn't know where I was and she didn't want to get up because she didn't want to hurt me. Oh, and, yeah. um, but at the time, it was probably one of the most terrifying things that I'd ever seen. Um, wow. But she she ended up being okay and um, thriving now, actually. So. Wow. <laughs> just a freak accident. How did you make it through that time in your life? I mean, that going through something is you know, nothing that you would ever want to wish on anyone else, let alone the fact that you're, you know, continuing to be in the sport and do so well in the sport. How how did you make it to this point? You know, I, at the time when everything was happening, your life kind of stops, but everyone else's keeps moving. And when I, I had a really hard time mentally, you know, they, it took them 30 minutes to call an ambulance and the ambulance didn't get to me until 45 minutes into it. Like I said, there, there wasn't an EMT at the ring at the time uh, of the accident. And when I got to the hospital, I ended up in emergency surgery. It was a six hour long surgery to rebuild my shoulder. And then the next week I started having seizures and actually I hadn't really spoken about this to people. A lot of people don't know about the TBI. I was diagnosed with another TBI after that. Mm. And um, I think the most traumatizing part and the hardest part about the idea of coming back and showing is for me was wondering if I was to ever be in an accident again, wondering if the people who were supposed to do their job would do their job or if I would be in that situation again you know mm-hmm. in 2012 a horse had fallen with me had just tripped in the warm-up and I ended up with the brain bleed and what saved my life was the fact that they wouldn't let me walk out of the ring mm-hmm. and uh, I think that that changed my life completely last year was I think the missed diagnosis of the TBI you know the, the multiple seizures afterwards but moving on from that was me having the support system that I had, I, I, my boyfriend at the time, who's still my boyfriend, everyone knows and loves him, Zach, he, I was paralyzed on my right side. So I couldn't move my arm for three months. And he brushed my hair, he washed my hair, brushed my teeth, he dressed me every day, he would buckle my seatbelt. He really got me through that point and which is not a point that I ever really want to go back to and I thought about that a lot you know it's not a place I want to be you feel very helpless and you're um, for all intents and purposes disabled and a lot of people in life don't realize when I mean I didn't know when someone's disabled that they I you don't know you have Mm -hmm. absolutely no idea what someone's going through unless you're you've gone through it and everyone's experience is different and with Zach being there and the support system that I had with the girls who were working for me and my family. And honestly, talking to a therapist helped a lot too, is really what 
got me back on a horse and through it mentally riding was never a question it was just whether or not I wanted to show again that right. the mental aspect is whether I wanted to walk into the ring and face that again was very hard to get over but I, I did have a lot of help I had a girl who worked for me named Kira who emotionally did so much for me she had a favorite quote of mine from her that she used to tell me all the time was the world is your oyster and she was basically telling me that it didn't matter what I did as long as I put my mind to it I could accomplish it and then I had a girl named Ari who worked for me who I knew that I was able to focus on myself and she would make sure the horse was good and taken care of and that I could focus on myself and she had the horses back and and she was there standing next to me when I walked into the ring and when I walked out the first mm-hmm. time I competed and I had um I still have a guy Matt Holberg who helps me and it's almost like he knew exactly what to say and when to say it he very much helped with the um, anxiety that I had the first time that I showed Perla again I was carrying over a vertical. I was might have been three foot in the warm up, and she sneezed when she took off, and I cried over it. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. There's no way. I thought she was gonna fall over, and you know, he, it was no big deal. And I was like, just do it again. You know, he's never once been upset with me, and um, very my confidence. He helped a lot with that, and I mean, carrying to the first jump, the very first time on my old Mary Any, it was probably a meter fifteen class just telling myself I was going to flip over at every step of the way. And what has really helped me the most is being intentional about my thought process. And I've heard that if you just change the way that you think, every time I thought something negative, I would change it into a positive. I catch myself, hmm. I'm gonna flip over. No, we're going to go clean. And I'm telling you, it did something to my brain because then all of a sudden you have one negative thought and two positive thoughts and then you have three positive thoughts and one negative thought and then you have no negative thoughts and being able to sort of trick your mind into being positive I something very mental about that and getting into the ring and also I mean I'm not ashamed when I do the Grand Prix on the jumpers I take anxiety medication and that helps a lot too and I, I think that people maybe when you're older think kind of take that for granted and that they do have medication for this stuff and that not to make you fall asleep but to make you think that okay it everything's gonna be fine and that helps me out a lot too along with the team that I have on the ground amazing Wait, what would you say your show nerve level was before your accident was that something that was completely new post-accident Yes, to a certain extent. When I got nervous before, it was almost like an excited nervous and adrenaline. Yeah. And uh, a bit of a high. You love walking in the ring and seeing what you can do and giving it your best shot and giving the horses the best opportunity to jump clean. And um, when I walked back in, it wasn't excitement. It was it was fear of dying. Like, honestly, I thought it wasn't worth it to me at the time. I I had to struggle with it. the idea of being I mean you're being dramatic you know the odds of you dying in the ring are very small but that is what crosses your mind yeah and uh that was a very different type of nerve and to this day I don't know that I've gotten back the adrenaline rush if I get nervous it might be a little bit because I think I'm going to get hurt but I 
like I said before, a little bit mentally, if I can switch it and tell myself that I'm excited to be in the ring, then I feel excited to be in the ring. And it's not a scared, nervous, it's an excited, nervous. Yeah. If you could leave listeners with one lesson about riding, what would it be? I would tell people to be very intentional with your time with your horses. I'm able to spend a lot more time with my horses now than I was before. We've downsized a lot. And to also listen to your body, you know, not one class isn't going to make or break you. And if you don't feel ready, don't do it. If you feel ready, then yes, believe in yourself. But there is no one is going to push you or should be pushing you to do something that you're uncomfortable with. You know, your health is very important. And that comes first. There's always another horse show and there's always another horse. And to be very grateful for the time that you have with the horses that you have in the moment. It, you can't recreate that time you have with them. What would you say is something that you're passionate about that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about in the industry or don't know enough about? Yes. Something that pertains to me in particular is the amount of head trauma that I have had riding so I think concussion awareness is very important. I'm mm. obviously a very big advocate of helmets. I always have been. And beyond that, people, it's it seems to me that people think they need to be tough. And I mean, with any sport, let's just, you know, work through the pain. But in doing that, you are taking years away from your life and one 90 second ride might be your last if you're not listening to your body mm-hmm. and I actually on my helmet now it, it was made for NFL and NHL it's an impact indicator that I have and you know it's not going to stop me from falling off and getting hurt and it's not going to stop you from falling off and getting hurt but what it will do is it will change colors if you've hit your head hard enough for a concussion and that time frame from when you hit the ground to when you get to the hospital is very important and it will give people more of an idea of how serious maybe your head injury could is or could be. And I think it's very important to listen to your body in that moment and not try to tough through things. Just take a second. Adrenaline does wonders. Like I said, I my arms were not attached when I ran to that horse and I did not know. And um, I had no idea about a TBI either. And being able to just sit there for a second and let people evaluate you and not try to push through the pain is very important. And that is something that we do the opposite of. And if we just take a second and breathe, I think there's a lot of people in the world who would either still be here or not have the brain damage that they do if they had just taken a second to evaluate themselves. It's very important crazy story and I promise this was literally not planned at all but the sponsor for this episode is Ride Equisafe I don't know if you've done anything with Catherine Winter um but that's the first time I saw those helmet indicators which I think she she sells them but she specializes um with like just extremely super safe based on um, safety testing for helmets and airbag vests and, and, and things like that. But I saw that where you attach it to your helmet for the, for the first time the other day. And it's so smart. Like every helmet should have one. 
Yes. And that is insane that they are the sponsor because I didn't know that she sold them. And I just got a vest after the accident and I ride in a vest. I flatten the vest and I think I bought it from her. I've had mm-hmm. a couple more since then that I think I purchased at another store, but that had impact indicator. I did not know. And um, they actually, they have covers. I just found the covers for them. She might yes. have the covers too. Yes. She, yep. I didn't have it in the hunters, but now I do because I have the cover because you never know. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to be jumping in a national derby and have the picture from behind and the white thing on your helmet. <laughs> um, I just got the cover for it and I'm really excited to have it. I, like you said, for safety and being able to know if you need help or not. Right. right. Cause so many times um, riders suffer from head injuries and they didn't even you know, like maybe physically hit their head. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's so important. And once you have one head injury, you don't have to hit your head that hard the second time to have another one. And and a lot of people don't realize that you're very prone to concussions after you have, after you have one. Yeah. What type of helmet do you ride in? I ride in the GPA first lady. Um, I'm not sure if GPA is still doing the first lady or if they're still doing anything, but I love that helmet and actually bought one of the last ones that was being sold at WEF this last year. Okay. Yeah. I've, yeah, I heard whispers about them mm-hmm. not carrying that or not making that helmet anymore, but mm-hmm. I, I love, love that one. Mm-hmm. I do. I've worn it for years and I buy a new one every year because again, helmet awareness, you know, being aware of your head your helmets have expiration dates if you hit your head at all if you fall off you should get another helmet mm-hmm. you you should get another helmet you know after two years you should get a new helmet and a lot of people don't know that yeah and they do need to know that definitely absolutely well keely thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and sharing your story being vulnerable with me but also i think helmet and concussion awareness is such a a part of our industry that I feel like not a lot of people um, talk about or maybe don't emphasize until they've personally been in a situation where they've needed to worry about that. And so I think the more people can be proactive about it, the better. Yes. And we have the footing so different than it used to be. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to don't jump in sand anymore. So if you fall, you're going to break something and just hope it's not your head. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Well, Keely, thank you again. And it's uh, exciting to see you back in the show ring and I wish you all the best. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun talking to you. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.